Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Welcome to the Kickstart Garage. I'm your host, Sam John Byrne, and I'm accompanied by my co-host, Gavin Quigley. On today's show, we're joined by local esteemed barber and entrepreneur, Sean Bryan, who is the founder of Cut & Sew. Since starting, Sean now manages three outlets, a clothing brand, and runs training courses for aspiring barbers and entrepreneurs. Without further ado, we'll get right into it. Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, Sean. It's great to have you on. Hey, lads. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my pleasure to be a house to be on. I'm looking forward to this chat. Great, great. So from reading other interviews and listening with other interviews, actually with yourself, you seem to be the poster child of this born-to-be hustler, <laughs> starting from one chair in the basement of a pop-up shop to now owning uh, three fully kitted out stores. Can you share with our audience where and when your entrepreneurial journey began? Yeah, so uh, I mean, for anyone that knows my own story previous or in our industry, it's um, it's kind of like a broken record, but it is a little bit of a rags to riches I started, I, I kind of did mountains of jobs. I left school early uh, at 16 and I wanted to get into an apprenticeship. I didn't really enjoy the uh, the education platform. I found getting told what to do from a very young age, very hard for me to, uh, I just couldn't grasp getting told what to do. So that's why when I went to become a carpenter, uh, I realized being an apprentice is worse than being a student in school. <laughs> So I jumped from loads and loads of jobs, kind of not knowing what I wanted to do. I loved grand designs from a very young age and shows on how to build and refurbishment shows. And I always thought that the builders or the foremen or the bosses of building sites seemed to take less, uh, less, what's the word, stick or less. They didn't take as many uh, rules. They didn't have as many people above them as I did in all of the other jobs. So I started uh, in a hairdresser at the bottom as an apprentice hairdresser. And the reason I think I loved it, even though I had no intentions of becoming a hairdresser, was that the human factor or the working with people, you know, when I was a, an apprentice carpenter, um, I found myself working on cold building sites or in attics and there was no uh, gratification. There was no well done or tap on the backs. You wouldn't even see the people you were working for. So I knew from, I suppose, being about 18 to 21 in this area of becoming, you know, losing an apprenticeship and then starting another apprenticeship in a totally different industry, that my skill set was probably my personality. I didn't know it as well as I do now, but um, I really found that when working with people and doing small tasks in hairdressing, you kind of, you got rewarded with compliments or like, well done and I think I just flourished with what I like doing and that was making people feel good and you know it was instant gratification so if you shampooed somebody's hair well which sounds small and silly now they liked it and they would tip you you know like a euro or two and then when you got on to the the further part of that education you would you know cut somebody's hair or do their color and they would tip you more and be even more happy and you grew a relationship with them so I think I knew then, okay, I was pretty good at hairdressing, but I wasn't a superstar and I didn't want to be. But then as I got into that industry, I um, kind of started to get more requests from gents and I gelled more with gents, even though I'm not like a butch masculine bloke, like I'm not into football or any of that crack. Uh, and I have five younger brothers. So I just preferred doing the, the gents kind of side to things. And... I think around the time that I set up was post Celtic Tiger. 
So there was a lot of opportunities and spaces and shops within shops. And one of my friends, Josh Gordon, set up a pop-up shop in, uh, in a record shop in town. And he was younger than me and he did really well. And I could see that we both knew the landlord. And I was like, God, if he can do a pop-up shop, instead of me doing mixers in my kitchen where it's bad lighting and my mom was going crazy with me, um, you know, getting hair all over the place and having loads of random guys coming in for haircuts, I asked the landlord, could I cut hair in the basement of his shop? And he was happy for me to just give him, you know, 20% of what I took. And that was probably the start of cutting so officially. And yeah, it was two, what? Oh my God, how many years? It's eight years now. So 20, well, yeah, 2013, the end of 2012. And I didn't think of myself as a business owner, entrepreneur or any of that. But that's, yeah, that's kind of where the start of it was, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, and I think that's so important in um, in any role, I suppose, just the whole idea of, of feeling valued and, and feeling appreciated. And I think no matter what what kind of job you get into or what industry you go down, you you need to find somewhere where you are valued. Um, Sean, do you want to talk to us about that transition from from Tony and Guy to running your own pop shop in Temple Bar, just in terms of how it felt transitioning from employee to self employed. What was that experience like? Well, so I'm fortunate enough to have been asked to do uh, talks in Trinity and IADT. And I was a bit, I felt like a bit of an imposter as such. I was like, why would all these guys that have are fortunate enough to go to college have an interest in my story? And um, a couple of business students would email me and say, can I write a thesis or can I do my story on corporate versus uh, independent or something. And I didn't really understand why they would want to come to me. So I didn't have a business plan or a business model. And when I did it, essentially, I, I don't come from nothing. I come from a lot, but financially, like my mum and dad have a very hard working. Like my, you know, my mum worked for years in various jobs and then as like a full-time carer. And then she became a full-time mum with six kids. So she had her hands tied and, my mom has actually always worked and had our kids. And then my dad is an amazing chef and he's a soldier. So he, my dad always had two or three jobs. He was like a bouncer Friday, Saturday night, and he would work in the army five days a week cooking. And then he would have to uphold working in restaurants uh, part-time as well. And it's, it's instilled in me, like my mom and dad are grafters, but the, the transition, I lived at home. I always gave up a bit of rent. I, I didn't really have any fear because I was told I can kind of do anything I want. So when people, I think, go about setting up a company now or going from an employee to an employer, it's not as scary as you think it is. I think the more you think about it, the worse it is. You know, it's it's like anything, you know, fear is, I suppose, feeling of the unknown. But I I had nothing to lose and it was so primal, if that's the, the right word to use at the start. I was like, Sure, my friend did a pop-up shop. He's younger than me. He lives at home the same way I live at home. Asked the landlord, is there any chance I can set up a barber shop on a Saturday? And uh, little to be told, I don't think I've actually said this on any podcast, but when I set up, I was the, I was still a hairdresser. I just changed working in a Saturday. So I was doing Monday to Friday in a hair salon. And on my days off on the Saturday, I would work, go into town uh, and work all day Saturday at this pop-up shop uh, and that was the risk you know and some days it was great the first week then I think there was two the second week and it was so up and down that I was like is this gonna work or what's going on and I didn't really have 
I didn't know what next week was going to hold. So the, I'm not like a, it, it's not that inspiration at, at the way I think the passion or the, it was a labor of love. I just love the feeling of having my own little space. And it's very powerful when you get your first, like first few quid in the tail, you know, it's a, uh, it was pretty amazing. And then I think over the course of the next couple of months is, is the awkward period. I think Rob Lipsit, who I follow, and he's got a very interesting story. He transitioned from when your side hustle brings you in more money than your main job or hustle, that's when you kind of have to take a leap of faith. So he used to deliver, I think, food and meal prepped company and work in a gym. And then he was making more money off his own online programs and uh, apparel that he transitioned to being you know his own boss as opposed to being an employee so I kind of had the same moment when after a couple of months it was up and down I said right I can either go at this full tilt and take a risk or I can just stay being like working like a madman for someone else and you know not really getting much more reward than what I was so it was a scary time and again I was living at home I don't have any kids so the, the risk was quite low, you know, and but you know, it was it was tough going in and making that decision as every business owner will find it. There's a lot of dark days and unknown future kind of thoughts that go on when you do it. So that's kind of the transition. It was it was tough, but I had a lot of support, like not not financially, like I, I worked my back, my, my socks off or my backside off at the start. But it was um it is a weird period when you transition from an employee to a, to self-employed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and you've kind of mentioned that in your answer and it's a really good answer. And I, Rob Lips is someone who I've followed as well since the very, very start, since he had, he was like living in, I think he was living in his parents' house or something and he had his cat and everything. And it's such a great story. And I think that story and your story, they kind of show that you, you don't need everything to be perfect to start. You just need to start and you need to figure out, like you said, whatever comes primal to you, whatever comes most naturally to you and just go, just go for it. And, and it can start off as a side hustle, like you say. And then when you, when you get that proof of concept and you start getting a few quid in the till, you can, you can really just start putting more of your energy into it. And I want to ask you, Sean, you, you've kind of mentioned this, but, but some people, they just, they like to plan for the future. They like having as, as many things laid out as possible. Uh, others just like to see how things come. Did you see yourself at the beginning one day running your own business or did it really just all come about as a result of the actions you took? Um, well, to be quite honest with you, and this is, I think, a very valid point. When I when I opened up, I built the shop and I, I think I've, I might even find the picture. I think I've posted it numerous times on the story, but not on the main cut and sew page. I built one, like a unit, like a one station shop, like even in the basement of the record shop, the the space was, you know, quite small, but I could have put in four chairs, right? So when I see the young guys doing it now, it's a lot different. I think not in a, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not on this. Are we able to swear? Go for it. <laughs> Drop it. Okay. I like it, lads. Okay, okay, we're over 18. It's hopefully Spotify won't beep us out of it. But I don't want to sound wanky, but uh, back then I was so unaccepted in the industry because I was a, a hairdresser. All of the barbershops then, none of them had social media, like none of them. And none of them did appointments, bar maybe one, I think. And when I because ca- I came from hairdressing, the only reason I did appointments was because that's how I was uh, trained in hairdressing. And it was pretty 
it was yeah, it was pretty mad to do to do that, but it's I don't know. I'm going off the point here again. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh, you're grand, you're grand. So I'll just go back to it. It was more about did you did you plan much of it, or did it all just come about as things progressed? Sorry, yeah. So no, like I didn't plan it, and I oh sorry, I purposely built the this the shop to just have one chair for me because I never had staff. It wasn't my intention to have staff, and. The first picture, sorry, that I did post, or I think I posted, it's a it's one chair which was a a, kitch, a spare kitchen chair my mum had, and it it was basically one mirror, one chair, and all of the staff give me grief because any kind of you know interviews or the few times I've been in the paper, people would be like from one chair and one mirror to this, and I purposely built it as a one man show, so I didn't plan it to be bigger than what it was. When I got to the stage of being so busy, excuse me, that I that I could cover more wage than I had ever earned before or than I'd ever been paid, I was so motivated, you know. It's it's funny, you're kind of like, it's not a light bulb moment as such. It's like, wow, man, it's like when somebody makes an effort, like we were in the basement of a dingy, a dingy basement with no natural light. Now, cool record shop, but the, it was in Temple Bar, you know, down the street, there was no signage outside. I, I couldn't, I didn't afford, I didn't have any money for it, like a sandwich board for a cool neons. There was no social media and it was word of mouth. And I think actually, no, there was Bebo, but like, I think Facebook was around eight years ago, obviously, but th- there was nothing like you see now. There was no Instagram. I, I literally remember, I think I just joined Instagram a few months after opening and it was crazy. I remember from some of the hairdressers, and people that used it was just like text and I bought a physical diary and I had my phone number on it and it was just word of mouth at the start lads it was it was as I said it was so primal I was like it was crazy and I think what happened next which you'll go into that later was kind of the magical moment you know but that's yeah that's how it was I built a one chair one mirror just for me and it wasn't intended to be any bigger than what it was yeah and just to kind of follow up on that so like like many entrepreneurs kind of face this problem of analysis paralysis um, from the get-go. You seem to be more so just taking action and kind of planning your next move, you know, just kind of gradually progressing um, almost like, let's see where this takes me kind of attitude. Um, do you feel like if you could go back, you'd kind of take more of a planning approach or you just keep plowing ahead as you did? So there's a, like my dad always says, this, he goes, geez, you're so man. He's like, how do you keep on opening shops? Or why are you like doing clothes or, you know, it's, I think because I came from, I hate saying, I don't, didn't come from nothing. I, I basically started with one chair, one mirror. And if all the success got taken away, I would be just as content as being like Sean, the barber, making good money as I was as Mr. Cut and Sew, which I've uh, really embarrassed, embarrassingly named myself on Tinder once or twice before. Don't worry about that. <laughs> And I've read, I've read, I just finished a book called Ego is the Enemy. So I definitely had a bit of an ego when the success kicked off, which is weird because again, like uh, one of the guys that tattoos me, he's like, like it, the, the, the thing that people seem to like about me is I'm very honest, open and down to earth. But there was definitely a stage where I got an ego and going forward, as you said, uh, I have to plan a bit, a bit further ahead because it's not only like my name it's the all of the staff and all of the shops who i do think about and I, I look at myself more now as a 
a kind of a player coach, you know, like I, I don't even know who was a, like, again, cause I'm not really into football anymore. I don't know who was a player coach, but I still work five days a week cutting on the floor and I run and manage all of the shops and all of the social medias and the education in the academy. So there's a lot, there's a lot more planning. And as we spoke about previous to this, and um, the mold skin and notepad and pen is part of my daily ritual, which is the best investment I think anyone can and should make as a notepad and pen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Gav agrees with you big time there. But um, <laughs> like, so just how different is your life now having achieved success in the pursuit of starting your own chain of barbershops? Like what's your day-to-day like now in comparison to when you first started? Um, my day-to-day is very different. Like the people always say to me, I think people assume if you've, if you own a shop or a business owner, I think people think of you like you're minted or loaded. And I'm rich in other ways, not financially or not like, you know, I don't own a Rolex, I don't own a Range Rover. And um, my lifestyle is kind of rich in the sense of I'm very lucky to have a lovely apartment that, that's of my choice. I can holiday when I want and I can work however many days I want. Like if I didn't have to, to work, uh, I, I could probably not cut hair at this stage, which is funny because I'm only 33. But it's like it's I'm very, very at the start of my business career. I'm only eight years open, you know, and I think I see in a sports starter saying an apprenticeship is only four years. So I'm only after doing two apprentices, apprentices, apprenticeships. And I'm I'm after making more. It's like I don't know the famous quote I wish you knew, but I'm after making probably more mistakes than I have successes. And I think that's part of it. You know, it's like the the John Kavanagh book, you know, you, you don't win or lose, you win or learn. And all of the biggest mistakes I've made have actually put me in the right direction for doing it better or doing something, you know, the next big thing. And it's, uh, I think, you know, learning is part of the process. So the day-to-day I have now is pretty much, I have all of the mistakes in the back of my head and I try not to hang on to them, but they kind of motivate me and remind me of what I do. My day, my actual day today professionally is get up. Uh, I always get up two hours before I have to start work or do anything. Uh, I'd like to say I meditate and sit there listening to the very chilled out music, but I don't. I'm pretty bad. I scroll through social media like a lot of people. And I'm addicted to work. So I check all the social media's first thing, see what the priorities, the priority messages are. Then I probably write down what I have to do. And then I go and work and I do a full day cutting hair. Um, and then I kind of plan my day. Like This is how nuts I think I am at what I do. Like, don't laugh, but like I'll be sitting on the toilet and I lock myself in there for five minutes and I will actually tweet or put up an Instagram story of work-related stuff, not me in the loo. <laughs> and, uh, and that's how mad it is and that's how much I want it. And it's like, it's unhealthy because it's cost me like friendships and relationships and you know, I've had previous girlfriends being like to me, man, like, wh- why are you not coming to this wedding? Like, well, like, I don't want to take a Saturday off. I don't really know the person. You know, if I'm not there on a Saturday, the takings will be down and the team need me there on a Saturday to finish up strong. And who's going to do the social media? So it comes at a cost, the slight success that you might say I have. But my day today is good. You know, I get up and, and as I said, I get up, I check social media, have a coffee go to work, work a full day in between that. And on my lunch, I'm on my phone and I suffer with chronic pain in my hands now. And it's, it's definitely because I use my hands for the phone, for a laptop, for gym, for cutting, 
and they're never not working only when I'm sleeping and it's yeah it's crazy it does come at a cost you know that's that's one thing I found out at a at a youngish age it's uh scary you know yeah yeah um and and Sean yeah I mean you're giving a lot of value to people I suppose just showing your work ethic and and something that you did mention there a minute ago was how important it is to always be learning um and I'm a big believer in surrounding yourself with people that are you know, resourceful that can help you to achieve your potential. And I wanted to find out if you had any, you know, specific mentors along the way that would have guided you. If so, you know, what kind of impact that they had on, on you and the business? And, and if not, do you feel it would have been beneficial to have someone guiding you through the process? Um, you know what? Not really. Like it's, no, I think at the same way, like I'm actually a self-taught barber. So I didn't, there's not like, there's not many barber schools in Ireland, if any, there's one or two that are quite basic and in business no, like you know as I said I finished school early uh, I didn't really I don't have any older brothers or uncles that would have taught me the way like I just know my dad was a hard worker and my mom and would I have liked a business mentor or did I have any like not really like okay granted my first business in the record shop the landlord kind of helped me a little bit like he said oh get this this is the accountant you should get here's what you need to do. And he did help me a little bit. And it's, um, you know, when you work with someone who you'd call a friend, like it's, uh, and your landlord, it's hard mixing business with pleasure. So he helped me at the start. But uh, unfortunately, at the end of the original shop, which we started out in, uh, that, that's why I just don't mention his name or the shop out of probably a bit of, a bit of hurt and a bit of, I don't want to say anything bad about anybody, but we ended up, we don't speak anymore. And that's what I'm saying. Everything comes at a cost. Like the landlord who was my friend helped me and gave me the opportunity. And I walk past him in the street now and we don't say hello. And, you know, again, that's a valuable lesson I've learned. And I'd like to obviously always make amends with people. But then when I look, when I look at people who, who guided me or who gave me some sort of, um, mentoring not really i think the like the the truth of life or when you walk through life you learn these things like you know if you're like for instance we had a flood in the shop one year and i was like i didn't have shop insurance i was like what like that's so then you're like oh crap if i had had insurance i would have gotten all the money that was you know all the stuff that was lost in the flood i would have had that money back so you just learn as you go along and in a way that's kind of good because I'm kind of self-taught and it's I, I have all these like I now do business coaching which I'm not too sure if you guys know but that's invaluable to people now and if I didn't teach myself I wouldn't be able to generate money or revenue by doing business coaching now you know if I had I had a business coach back then I wouldn't have made a lot of the mistakes I did but now that I'm the probably only or one of the only barber business coaches in uh in Europe that I know of it's it's pretty mad. So I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think it's worked out well for me not having, not having a business coach in some ways, but then I'm kind of snookering myself by saying, if you don't have a mentor, you, you, you will make mistakes, but you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a weird one, lads, you know, it's, I, I do and don't wish I had a bit, I, I'm glad I, like I've no regrets, basically. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And like going out on your own, I mean, it is filled with its highs and lows and it's, it's not an easy road, but, um, I mean, as problems or challenges even pre present themselves, like how do you face them? Like, have you got kind of like, is each one different or like, you know, have you kind of developed a way to be like, okay, this is the approach I'll take. I mean, what's the, what's the biggest headwind you've kind of faced since starting out? 
uh, it was the the original shop losing the original shop because the landlord uh, cut a deal with my own employees. He made them a deal, like like the Godfather. He made them an offer he couldn't if they couldn't refuse. the The guys, the guys that took the shop over, didn't have any backbone or respect or love or consideration for me, which is very hurtful. They, if they like, I'm I'm waiting for an apology, right? Which I know I'm not gonna get out of like whatever the, the guys are too stubborn i'm like if i gave if i employed you for two years or if you are any of my bosses i'm grateful for the opportunities i put so many people on so many platforms and to be not even spoke to or asked about or how do i say this the biggest headroom was losing the original shop to my own staff but then again the learning process of that is if i had have had a better uh, contract with a good solicitor, I wouldn't have lost it. So, and I've went on to do amazing things, ten times better than what I had. So I'll go into that. But the headroom was on a personal level, being screwed over by people you cared for and helped and built up and grew to your own company. It's it's tough. Like I'm super proud of all of the staff, and I'm very grateful for every one of them for helping me, whether they've skanked me or not. And it's only these particular guys that did it and it, that that hurts because all of the staff who have worked for me i'm friends with and support and i've worked with and still see and have a point with but this particular one i don't know why the lads just don't seem to have had the love care consideration or backbone to say look we've been you know offered this we're got we can't say no it just blows my mind that somebody could could have the audacity to do that and to walk around dublin and and go on and it's called i think it's piggybacking off someone's success you know it's i still own all of the stuff in the shop i own the tiles the mirrors the like all of the work got in was me it's not them it's that's hard that's the biggest headwind and it's it's been two years and i actually seen the landlord today guys so it's not pretty mad so it's uh it, it hurts me that the guy that gave me the start you know had to for his own reasons i respect had to just say look it's been it was five years or six years he's like it's come to the end of the road, you know, and we're going to go our separate ways. And I was like, can you do this to me? And then my contract, obviously my, my lease had said, yeah, it was up. And I was like, presume we were just going to renew it. And presumption is the mother of all F-ups, you know? So that, that's the worst one, lads. That's, that's, I'm very passionate. And I stay, I stated it a lot. I even made a t-shirt saying, uh, stay away from snakes and fakes. You know, that's uh, that's how I invented it. And you know what? Nothing but bad things came from that. You know, there was more grief, and the lads were trying to book in fake appointments, and and they did, and slandered me, and it was just, it was a bad vibe, and it's not what I'm about. I I want, I actually wish the lads well now, and hopefully they'll send me an apology card and a bottle of whiskey if they hear this podcast. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what it goes back to, Sean, something that you mentioned a few minutes ago. It's the whole concept by John Kavanaugh of you don't win or lose, you, you win or you learn. And I suppose even though that was one of the biggest uh, piece of adversity that you faced on your journey, it's it's just one of those lessons. And it's one of those things that you're kind of forced to learn from. And like you mentioned with the solicitor and the lease and everything, it's a mistake that you'll make sure not to make again. Um, I was just going to say, though, that there's, there's a lot of universal principles that you can learn from starting a business that can be applied to, to different businesses and other industries. And I'm sure you've applied them in, in starting other ventures, such as the Cut and Sew Apparel and, and the coaching that you mentioned. What would you say are, are the most important principles or, or values that you'd share with our audience? Uh, I mean, treat people how you want to be treated. 
like not only is Dublin a small town, like the world is so small, you know, I have been on holidays and literally, you know, people would be like, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I'm a barber. Where do you work? Cut and sew. No way. My brother goes there. My cousin goes there. My fella goes there. And, you know, I don't know, just don't screw people over because it's, and your reputation is everything. And, you know, the, the, yeah, I think the, yeah, don't screw people over, treat people how you want to be treated and just be a good human, you know, be sound. I think as Irish, as, not as Irish, as I suppose being an Irish man, it's like, I think our nation, we're pretty cool, you know, like it's, uh, yeah, I think we're pretty cool and don't be an asshole, you know what I mean? It's, and also like, I try and be as good a person as I can be and as, as nice a boss as I can be. And my very first boss in hairdressing, a guy called John Marr, he he passed away in during COVID, not COVID related, I don't think. And it hit me, I was like, wow, this guy was my favorite boss. He treated me with like so much respect, even as an apprentice, when I literally had to clean the toilets and make tea and coffee and shampoo the granny's hairs that I didn't particularly like doing. He actually was like caring and considerate and considered my future. And I was like, you know what? I worked harder for him because he treated me with respect and he made me feel like I could go on and move on in my career. And I was like, that that made me want to be a cool boss. So that was kind of like, yeah, I don't know, a bit of a motivator for me. That's maybe because I had a really good boss. And now when I think of my story, like I would like to think I am the soundest boss. And I, you know, I like, I don't know if every boss actually feels it that, but genuinely I feel it in my bones. And that's, it's not detrimental to me because all of the staff that have worked uh, with me, uh, they've all gone on to do, well, most of them have gone on, yeah, nearly all of them have gone on to open their own shop or do their own thing. And that's what you want, you know, you don't, I see all of the people have it twisted. They don't want their staff to leave them. I'm like, I only said it to Stephen, I was like, if you are here in five years, I think we're going to have to terminate your contract. I was like, I don't want them to be stuck in the same job or role for five years. I think it's important to move on because we are the leading brand in Ireland. And and I think that's the mindset you have to be as a leader, as, you know, if you want to call it cheesy, it's cheesy. But I do feel like I'm leading these 20 guys who are coming to me to be either an apprenticeship to go on to be a senior barber, to manage, to have their own shop. And if I'm not on my A game or a nice boss or show them how it's done, I think they're going to like upset or ruin the industry they're getting into. And that's, it actually, it's it's weird that four guys that worked for me this year have opened their own shop, but we still seem to stay busy or keep, keep getting busier. And I think it's because I wish them well and people respect not only me, but the cut and sew brand or like that. I support and build them up. And it's what I was kind of, you know, trained to do as a hairdresser, you know, have my own salon or t- I just, I don't know, I had a good leader. So it's, uh, it's come back to me, I think tenfold, you know, that rest in peace, my old manager, but like he grew from uh, working for somebody to having his own uh, franchise to open his own shop to then losing a shop and passing away. And it just, it's a bit of a mad moment. Life goes so quick. So be a good human, you know? Sorry, I went on a bit of a tangent there, lads. No, that's re- pretty inspirational there, Sean. Um, so I, I kind of just want to talk a bit more about cutting so and even of itself. So obviously a very successful and recognizable barbershop brand here in Dublin. And right now we're quite literally living in a bit of a weird reality with people wearing masks and everyone's stuck inside all the time. So how has cutting so been handling the whole COVID situation? 
you know what? We're pretty lucky with um. Well, like so, basically, I I actually I lost a business, so I I actually set up a, a sister company, if you want to call it, called Blind Eye Barbershop. So I met an entrepreneur or a, a multi-millionaire uh, whose name I won't mention. He's passed away as well. God, lads, I feel like I have a bit of a curse. Um, I, so hopefully you guys are, are doing all right after you release this podcast. <laughs> so listeners, don't get worried too. But um, the, the basic, okay, so w- when it comes back to, I had two shops and then started to get a bit known around town. I opened up one chair, then the one chair grew to two chairs which was blown then the two became four and then we had to like re hold like rehold do the basement of the shop i was in and expand and then it was so busy that we were losing people with more people getting like uh, re- uh what's the word not being able to come in getting refused to come in and because we were the only one or one of the only shops to do appointments it was a little bit mad you know if you can't get into a pub or a club or a restaurant it makes you want to go there more maybe I think it was because no one had seen that before. The amount of guys and coming through to the to the record shop, the owner was getting peed off. So I think that was a little bit of the start of resentment or a bit like, here, man, like we were only meant to rent, you know, a tenth of our shop and now you have more staff than us and you took over more space than we actually have. That um, it was kind of mind-blowing. So, yeah, I don't know. It was mad. But the... What was the question? Sorry, lads, I keep on going off the point here. Is this really like how's um, cutting soap and handling the whole COVID situation? So how's it handling? So uh, from, I think, the start of when we grew and the success of it, blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't know. We we were kind of used to coming from nothing and the mindset of if if we lost it all or if it went back to me just having one chair, I wouldn't mind. So when COVID hit, I remember the weekend of it, um, well, no, I'm getting off the point. Sorry, I had another shop, Blind Eye, and we basically, I had another shop and I lost that again because I got screwed over by the, the investor or the business partner. And I went from having two shops to three, then from three to two, and then this thing happened with me losing the original shop and I had to grow it, blah, blah, blah. I was used to ups and downs, I think, and not knowing what was coming around the corner. So I've never mentally prepared for crap or covid like anyone but um i think because you know so many mad things happened when covid hit i was like right what can i do if i obviously want to keep all the shops open and the brand to expand and to maybe become global and well known and who knows what i'll do in a few years but when covid hit we we were hit bad you know like we didn't hear back from two of the three landlords in the in the three locations we didn't know what was going to happen, who was going to stay with us, how we were going to pay the bills. You know, you don't plan for the rainy day fund for a, a pandemic, do you? Like, I don't know anyone that's had it. Obviously, every every one of our parents went through like a recession or whatever, but everything was going well for seven, eight years. That was just success after success. And, you know, the, the kind of snowball, you don't see this happening. So we kind of were, were fortunate enough that when it hit, we lost... We lost a couple of staff. Like we lost, I think we lost about six of the 20 staff we had in March. And, you know, four of them just had a bit of downtime to think about what their future was holding. Then with COVID payment being quite good, we're very fortunate. Some of the guys were illegally or not, you know, they were doing haircuts, which we didn't condone, etc., etc. So um, 
we got rid of some of the staff who were there for quite long, or we didn't get rid of them. They left and whatever, and it was kind of good. Then one or two guys who were kind of dragging weight or holding us back, we were fortunate enough to not have to take them on when we reopened. So there's kind of like a lot of fresh blood and good energy, and we redid all the shops. Like anyone that follows me or the cut and sew journey knows, like I graft like mad, and we cleaned, changed all the shops up, we got really good uh, relief from the government and the council on rates and whatever else. And we've come out of this, I don't know how, but we've come out of it way better than we went in. So we don't have anybody who's not like uh, covering their role or doing exactly what they need. We've hired new people and the shops when we reopened for after the first lockdown, like flew and the energy was good. Like we, we went down from... I don't know, yeah, whatever, like 20 staff to like 14. So we lost nearly 50% of the workforce. Uh, and then some of them went on to competitor shops. And now we opened up again and we've hired more people. And financially, we're in a, a better place, which is weird. And I don't know, it's exciting, you know. Our education took off. The online coaching that I started has like rocketed, you know. It's mad. I'm, I've no more space for this year for online coaching. And I think we've dealt with it really good. You know, I've been giving out loads of free information online. We did two runs of our of apparel that sold out. Um, and I get to do a lot of creative stuff. I've, I'm so much about supporting local Irish businesses. And I feel like that I've been saying it years. And it's come back around that so many people have seen me supporting and actually doing it that they supported us. So I think COVID is... COVID has been really good for us, which is a weird thing to say. And we're not going to close down any of the shops. And it looks like we'll be pretty strong when we get back to normality. So I'm very, very lucky. So as of now, you've got uh, you've got your three stores around Dublin, I, I believe. You've got multiple stores. How do you manage to retain that uh, the unique vibe that you established from, from the pop-up shop as you gradually scaled up? Um. Well, I mean, I don't know. I think it's just quite honest. It's, you know, each shop that uh, each shop that I do, I try and make it, which is weird because we don't franchise and it might be something that we'll do in the future, which I never thought I would say because I didn't really believe in it. Like, you know, I'm enemy with Starbucks and Costa and all that. And I feel like each shop is independent and it has its own vibe. You know, Dundrum, Wellington, Key and Lord Energy, the three of them are different and have their own personality. But I think it's pretty, I hire people based on their personality, not by their skill set. Barbering is, it's a craft. Like you can teach someone to become a barber. You know, it's not like you need to be this amazing, um, talented, you're not, you're not born to cohere. I don't believe in that, you know. I think you can, you can definitely become the best barber by training or doing the most haircuts and doing the most education and the unique the uniqueness comes from hiring people on a personal level so everyone you know guys girls uh whatever they need it doesn't matter their orientation or where they're from and it's it's just i think me on a personal level liking each individual you know we pick and play hopefully good music it's always been about boiler rooms supporting local and hiring local hard-working people and then the communities get behind it and I think they really love it. And again, it's honest, you know, it, it's, it's, don't get me wrong. Like it's, it's a barber shop, but it's not just a barber shop. You know, we made a documentary a few years ago uh, with the guys at Collective and we, we premiered it in the Sugar Club 
and it's so like what who does a, a documentary about a barber shop and you have a premier it was bananas you know and it's when i think about it and even listening to myself back then it was like it's always been about family and the community and people around them the, the name of the documentary is called not just a barber shop and i think when people come in like you know they come in early they chat they know the guy or girl the music is good you don't know who you're going to see in the shops whether it's like famous djs the local the local kind of man or woman about town you know people bring their dogs in there's kids getting their first haircut there's the cool oaps it's pretty cool and exciting, I think, to come into the shops. And because they're all different, they cater to all the different people, as opposed to just rolling out a franchise from the UK or America, or like, no disrespect to the to the most well-known, famous barbershop, the Grafton Barbers, which is massively successful. And I, I take my hat off to the guys. They're uh, amazing at what they do. Their business model is a lot different to ours. I can make a lot more money if I just opened up 10 regular barber shops charge less money and didn't do appointments and didn't put in love and heart, love and sweat and blood and tears into them and as i said it's a labor of love you know it's it's because i still do the job five days a week cutting and then i still work on my days off doing the social media it's a labor of love and i love i look at them like my children in a weird way each shop i'm very proud of and the staff in it so i think people vibe off that and that's why they keep on coming back you know yeah yeah and i think everything that you're saying and, and you know telling us about cutting so it, it kind of translates across to to every type of business you need to kind of create a community and you've kind of you've infused your personality into the brand and and you've translated it into the different locations um i just wanted to ask something though i i've recently read this book by uh, phil knight so phil knight is uh he's the founder of Nike. Shoe Dog. yeah shoe dog probably one of the best books i've ever uh read wow. it's so easy to read but um i don't know if you've read it it's fantastic so and, and it just it basically documents and it gives the narrative of the struggle towards success and it it's not easy you know and it, it's kind of told by phil knight and he goes through the ups and downs from setting up the factories and thinking they're about to collapse oh having no cash flow yeah exactly yeah and, I, and that's kind of brings me to the question has there any been a moment where you know the business came close to failure or you thought you're like fuck maybe this isn't gonna work yeah like you guys said what was the biggest head headshot moment or head wound moment uh i basically i don't know if anybody knows this but the rainy day for thanks to my dad he was like sean he goes you're nuts he goes why are you bleeding getting all these nice apartments why are you flying first class to feckin bali why are you going around wearing designer gear and i was like like again i was like i was in a long-term relationship for six years and i god love the girl i think i was a disaster the last two years because i just started cutting saw and i was like mental into it. you know i was like this is this is my little ticket to success i just want to be my own boss that's like when I write a book, which I will do, and it sounds a bit crazy because people are like, you're only a barber, you're not a millionaire, you're not like a feckin' uh, Gary V type. And I'm like, I'm my own Gary V, you know? But I'm, I just want to, I don't know, lead and feckin' get on it. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, pre, it's pretty mad to think of like where we are, where we've gone and where you can go. And with the, to go back to your point about Shoe Dog, what I got from that book, did you say you got from it like a bit of a struggle kind of buzz? Well, what, what I was saying is that the book is effectively a narration or it's, it, it's him telling the story of the struggles and the ups and the lows and how it's not all roses when you're starting a business and you're trying to grow the business, you know? 
but that but that's and to come back to the kind of point of was I ever a failure and the success when I think of the shoe dog book and a lot of the struggle books um it was when two years ago exactly around this time last year it was five weeks to Christmas I got an email that like imagine your friend of 10 years your landlord of five someone who you grew distant with just send you an email like not even a phone call or face to face to say couldn't so won't be trading in five weeks uh not even thanks it was a like, couldn't so won't be trading in five years it's been a hell of a it's a hell of a ride let's meet up and discuss i got that email two years ago and i didn't plan on 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 losing the shop which was effectively the most financially uh successful shop because the rent was quite cheap and we're in a basement i was like oh crap i have to get all of the six lads in that shop employment for january 1st and I was on a plane in business class uh, about to take off and I checked my emails, which I would never do when I'm on holiday mode. I was going over to get a holiday before the Christmas rush and my heart sunk. And I, I kid you not, I literally was like, you're kidding me. It was like being stabbed in the heart. Uh, it was so cold. I couldn't believe it was legit or it was real. I was like, what have I done to, to deserve this? But we grew apart. There was resentment. There was, I wasn't an angel tenant, you know, I, I kind of, maybe took my eye off the prize and I then went into a state of like shock. So it was the, I never, the only time I stay off my phone lads is when I'm on a plane. Well, I don't go on the internet, you know, I, uh, I had to go on daft. I had to see how I get a new shop. Like it's not cheap. You know, you can, you can do a shop for cheap, but you're talking 20 grand to get like your, your solicitor fees, your head of terms, you need a security deposit. You need a shop fit. And who can get builders in five weeks? And I was saving for an apartment. And, you know, if the apartment's 300 grand, you need 30 grand for that. So I was essentially, uh, like, stripped of my, my, first, my first house or apartment because I spent all of that money to guarantee the six lads in that basement had employment for January. And I didn't know that the landlord had spoke to the, the two guys in there, the two top guys in there, and it cut me a deal. And they knew I, I was fighting to get them a job. They even came into the shop two weeks before I opened and still hadn't spoke to me. And this is where the, the, the head wound comes in. I was like, I'm how can you just walk into this shop where I'm trying to save your job? And you know well and good because they'd ordered the stuff weeks in advance that you're taking over that shop and you see me on my hands and knees. I did all the work in there from my carpentry days, lads. And I begged and I grafted and as if there was a picture of me on my hands and knees in a like covered in muck and cement and on the floor painting and cleaning of like we did it. And I opened the shop to guarantee they all had employment. And the day before, the day before we opened, somebody had leaked that they'd seen the guys in they heard that they're not coming with you and i was like you're joking me and i had to walk in on the day before opening the new shop i went in to pick up all of the final bits in the basin where i started and the guys were in there cleaning and painting like that is the worst i've ever felt after paying these guys a fortune and helping them and i was like i've just spent what what should be money for my first uh, property to save your job and you're skanking me. And the landlord didn't even look at me in the eyes. I had to walk up and down the stairs of the basement. Like, for it was the most awkward 10 minutes of my life. I'm like, you absolute shady fecker. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it was so badly done. 
And in turn, out of the six guys, uh, six guys, four of them went back to the basement. And I was like, this is where I was horrible. So technically I hit rock bottom in the sense of business. And I was like, man, I could have lost. Like I could have went from three shops to two, right? And all of the staff would have looked bad. But in my own defense, I think as I was saying, and I have to go back to this because I've just finished that book, Ego is the Enemy. I hadn't grafted in in the last two years like in the last two years i got so much success so quick and there was no one at our level and there was nothing like nobody was opening shops like us and it was just crazy and we ruled the roost that i think i needed that that wake-up call that oh god you need a better solicitor you need to secure your own future you need to make sure that you're hiring the right guys and your branding is cool. And then I got, I hate, I hated that basement. And I, I don't like to use that word, but that's why I couldn't go in. I couldn't face it. It was so, the upstairs bit, uh, the record shop bit of it. I was like, I don't even, the lads are lovely that worked in there, some of them, but it was so childish. And you had to like to walk from into a business via another business. I had outgrown that and become, you know, bigger than that shop massively. And I was just like, I was so unclued into running that business. I just thought it would run forever. That uh, by losing the shop, I gained Lord Edward Street, which has now come on to be the most financial out of all of the shops massively. And it's not in a basement. It's got the biggest windows of a barber shop in Dublin uh, city centre. And we run an academy out of there. We don't have to share a shop with other people. And I've never been happier with business. So it's, it's funny that by losing that, I've set up myself for I've like a 10-year lease in all of the shops, which are bulletproof with the best solicitor that I have, which is Nicola Rooney. And okay, you might lose the, the first shops and like that might take away, you know, a lot of your 30, 40 grand that you'd saved and worked hard for. And that's hard to do, lads, when you're a single guy flying first class around the world. You know, I might look like I'm rich, but I'm definitely not, you know. Um and it was the it was the best story, and it's and then uh, before like then I think Gavin, I didn't like I remember I was like, what am I gonna do? And I think I bought like business for dummies book, and I started to read, uh, and I bought uh, I bought shoe dog, I bought uh, the four hour work week. I'm looking at my books as I'm reading this. I bought uh, winners, yeah, ego is the enemy. I bought winner learn, and I read Alex Ferguson's book leading. I read all these books, and. I don't know. I just got into, I hate, I don't hate the entrepreneur word is a bit mad, but I think by getting that wake up call, like I hadn't worked that hard. Like I spent the five weeks, as soon as I got back from New York, from the first week of December to the first week in January, I didn't, I worked on Christmas Eve day, Steve. I worked every day. My birthday is the 2nd of January and I had to go into the shop and pick up the old bits on that day. And on my birthday, I'd seen these guys who I'd hired and they still didn't apologize to me. They didn't go, oh, hey, they were physically moving my stuff out of the shop where I had hired them. And it was tough. And it's two years this January. So I'm going to make it my mission to to fly. Hopefully, if I can leave the country, I'm going to fly first class out of here. And I'm going to have a champagne and, and wish them well and quarantine and be safe away from, from Dublin. And be like, you know what? Look at the difference in two years where... I have grown, expanded, and I'm in a financially better place in just two years. And my future in business is way safer than it was then. And it's, 
you know, I'm going to cheers to that. And I think I'm going to, I think two years is enough to let go. You know, I've, I've had breakups that haven't lasted this long. <laughs> Fair play to you, Sean. Like you've, you've come a long way. Like, and I mean, it, I'm definitely sure it's made you the better man of it all anyway. But um, I kind of just want to pivot here as well. Um, I just want to talk a bit about uh, competition. Um, so like, you, you kind of differ yourselves a lot in that you're just really cool kind of barbershop. And you, you... <laughs> well, I don't know if we're cool, cool, but I think we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Andy Grove of Intel, he, he think he was the third CEO of Intel and he was also the third employee. He developed this test, which was later popularized by um, Warren Buffett to help understand the competitive dynamics in the market. So I thought I'd ask you this question. If you had one silver bullet, which competitor would you take out? Oh, geez, that's probably the best question I've ever been asked. Um, oh my God, that's so, so good because, well, you know what? I think the guys probably have me blocked anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not cool enough to be on this podcast. So, <laughs> you know what? It's, um, I don't like competitors. Okay, I have two answers and I'm only going to give you the second answer because I feel privileged to be on the podcast. The first answer is there is no competition because I literally only focus on me, the teams, and everyone that is in the four walls and all of cutting sauce. And I kind of live by that. And I mean, it's cheesy, but we've all, you know, probably read some self-help motivational books. I'm only ever in competition with myself or my future self. But I look at businesses like, who do I say? Sam's Barber's. And I'm so impressed with them. They, I used to, it's so funny. They're like, I hate this. It, there's a thing in a Dublin, I think, where, you know, people, they want to see you do well, but not better than themselves. When I first started, they were so friendly to me because my shop was, it was as best as I could make it or afford it. But it was a shithole. Like when you look at it, like there was my mom's kitchen chair. It wasn't even a barber chair. There was a mirror I'd taken from my, my mom's shed, right? And it was literally nailed to the wall, like not even hung professionally. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no Facebook, Instagram. There was no booking link. And then when I grew and then I opened the shop opposite uh, Sam's Barber's on the Key, which is now the Wellington Key shop, which is the biggest shop we have. And it has like an antique feckin' pool table in it. It's beautiful. It's unreal. And it's on the Liffey. But it faces opposite Sam's on the other side. They did a whole rebrand, I think, about two or three years ago. And I felt like they were very dated. Like I, I was honest, I was like, we're way better than them. And I, as I said, every owner should feel like they are better than everybody else. I think that's just who I am. And I think as a leader, as I go back to, you should feel like that. And I got that from the Alex Ferguson book, Leading. You know, if if your, uh, your team don't believe in you, well, then the whole thing is kind of tarnished. And I do believe in us. And that's why I think everybody wants to work for us. So the silver bullet I would probably give to Sam's because they have they're independent, they're not franchised. We have shop, we have they have two shops in town, we have two shops in town. They've got they opened up a beautiful new shop, not even called Sam's. I don't know the name of it in Blanchardstown. And then they've two in the suburbs. We've only one in the suburbs. So I think I presume a silver bullet means get rid of them, does it? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm just I probably watch too many vampire movies, but <laughs> And I mean that in the best way. That's me giving them a compliment. And because I still feel like they're financially probably way better than me. They must be if they've got more shops. But it's like you can't you can't bottle like coolness or what's what's likable. But it's the same way with like 
how do I say this? Okay, so we all know Centra, right? Yeah. Or a chicken fillet roll. This is a weird analogy. But I mean, don't get me wrong. I like a chicken fillet roll like the next man. But if I'm going, you're not going to go. You're not going to bring a girl or somebody you're seeing to Centra for a chicken fillet roll. You're going to go to like KC Peaches or somewhere a little bit more upmarket. <laughs> but Centra is probably the most financially profitable like shop our news agent in our, like everyone knows Sandra and it's not everyone knows Casey Peaches. And I feel we're like, not like, we're a little bit like Casey Peaches. you like, it's cool. It's more premium and expensive, but it's definitely not the most financially uh, profitable shop, which is weird for me to say on a podcast, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's a bit weird. So it's like, yes, sounds bar was getting the silver bullet, but <laughs> that's only I'm you guys that, but it's, I, I don't think we're in competition with anyone else. It's a, uh, I just try and better each shop and each year financially to myself. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that answer, I suppose. And, and especially the bit about, you know, it's just you versus you. You're not really going to get much from comparing yourself with other people. And I especially like the Alex Ferguson book that you mentioned there. I was a big Man United fan. It's a book I haven't read, but I'm going to add it to the list. Um, And I wanted to, I suppose, just it's it's on the same kind of topic, but um, just you mentioned that this a couple of times so far. Um one of the tools I can see that's been really beneficial for the business is social media. How have you leveraged social media in order to scale your brand? And and on that then, what advice would you give to those listening who are also using social media to build their brand? So again, when we first opened, it was, how do I say it? We, I, I definitely, if I really, I'm honest, when I get, if I'm a bit tipsy the odd time and I'm by myself, I find myself scrolling through Instagram and go, wow, the state of that haircut back six years ago. Or what was I doing? Like putting a picture of something not relevant to the to the brand or business on the business page. But I didn't really know how to use it. And again, I didn't go and do a social media course, which I think is only a new, you can actually only do social media in college in the last two or three years. You guys might know that, like social media marketing. But when I did set it up, I remember the moment on even using like a pic collage, you know, like the app where you can put like a before and after pic on it. When I look back at them, that blew us up. Like we grew, like we were the biggest uh, social media brand when we first started. Like I think, I remember when you go back to like 5K and 10K and it's kind of plateaued now in the sense of like everybody is doing what we did. And when we set it up, it's a, pre, a free platform. Uh it, it's it's a showcase online to show everyone what you're doing and even all of the guys that had uh followed us it was so mad when you put up a picture of a haircut of a real person that is from dublin and not a feckin american crew handsome model that nobody looks like guys can relate to that you know and i think we're we're not the worst looking nation i'm not trying to insult their customers or yourselves or myself but when you used to go to a barbershop and you see all these American crew models on the wall, you kind of, you didn't point to go give us that one, you know, it just wasn't cool. But when you have the Instagram and it's of the people that come into the shop, they can kind of relate, you know, and I'm like nearly everybody that I ever asked, can I take a picture of the hair for the gram? They're like, yeah, they love it. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's a funny, it's an honest way. And as I learned, as I went on with the social media, you know, you get branding, then you have to advertise your Christmas hours or Valentine's Day or gift cards. It's, it's a bit of training in itself. And now every time I do a business coaching session, they all ask about social media. And I'm like, like, it isn't easy to get to 20,000 followers on Instagram when 
every second person or everyone has a social media account. So it's tough and to try and create content and it's a job that I love and hate to do because again, with my hands being sore, I just know if you're not relevant or on social media, you're going to have, you're going to be at a disadvantage to your competitors. And it's something that I've really worked hard on this lockdown, like the second one. Uh, I've like, I don't know if you guys seen it, but we've done giveaways. We're doing a raffle, a new clothing launch. Uh, we get all of the staff to heavily promote themselves within it. And it's like, we wouldn't have the shops we have without social media. So free business advice is to up your social media uh, presence and, and do a course on it. Or, you know, not even with me, there might be something on YouTube and it's so available now. It's like even that Elon Musk was like, everything is available for, for free, basically on the internet. And he's right. You know, college isn't, I don't think it benefits a lot of people the same way school didn't benefit me. It's, it's the real world is where I learned uh, my craft and what works for me, I think is my personality and my work ethic. And that doesn't cost anything. Yeah, you're dead right. And and just on that, I I did commerce in UCD, great course. Didn't learn a single thing in three years. Didn't pay attention to anything that was happening. Wow, that's very honest of you to say. Yeah, but I've been out out of college now three years, and I've learned more in these three years because I actually want to learn about it. Um, and I think that's so important for anyone listening. If you want to learn about something, you learn ten times the amount that you will in school or in college when it's being forced on you and there's no context. Um, and, and just on that, I want to ask you, Sean, because uh, we're we're coming up to about an hour now, so we won't keep too much longer. Um, outside of uh, of cutting, so you, you also offer apparel, like you said, you've mentioned your your business consulting and, and training courses in relation to barbering. What made you decide or make the actual choice to branch out into these ventures? And do you also plan to scale these these side hustles, these businesses, as much as you did with Cut and Sew? Jesus, lads, you know what? This might be the best podcast I've been on. <laughs> this question and the last question are insane. I'm not just trying to flatter you. As I know I said my personality is good, uh, but I'm dead serious. So while I was in this lockdown, um, I had the million dollar idea or the million euro dollar idea that I've kind of always known. And it's come to a point where I'm like, you know what? Like when I, when I think about the success of it and the side hustles, like we're the first barbershop to do a documentary first barbershop to make our own beer. And um, we're the only one that does, uh, I suppose our own clothing range and seasonally, you know, we do four a year and I'm like, it's a labor of love. We don't really make money off the clothing. It's like free advertising. We just cover our costs. The beer is an expense that we take. We don't sell it. Like I feel we could do a coffee shop, a tattoo shop, a bar, anything we put our mind to. And I, I'm i not going to say what it is, not because I don't think it's going to manifest. I know it's going to manifest, but it's something that I want to work on before I publicly announce it. I found like the side hustle things that I've done, I know I can see a million dollar idea and, and i can like cut and sew the reason why it's cut and sew and not sean's barbers is because it's a brand that everyone can umbrella under and you know everyone's welcome as i said from any age to any sex and like it's it's a household name and i believe in it and i work in work with all of uh really amazing irish designers to create content and I feel like we've enough homegrown talent to, to make this like a global brand and name, whether it was selling, like we're making our own candles now, like, you know what I mean? That are going to go through the roof and we're working with a company that made them here in Ireland. And I just feel like if I made it global, 
that it would do well. And again, why not do it? It's the side hustles, as you call it, Gavin, are like, I just, I do them as a labor of love, but if I really put my business head on and if I wasn't busy in the Lord Edward pub on a Saturday or Sunday drinking, what I could achieve is phenomenal. And I just, with the pubs all being closed and just having a clear head and losing loads of things or learning loads of things, it's just, there's so much opportunity out there if you choose to kind of, I think, what is it? Like greatness happens when opportunity uh, meets chance or hard work. And I feel like I work harder than anyone in my industry and I'll take the Pepsi challenge with anybody and that motivates me. So the side hustles, will it will be what makes me a millionaire. And for a barber and a barbershop owner, not many people can say that. And I take my hat off to the Grafton Barber lads who are millionaires and they franchise their brand and they have Ferraris, I believe, and live in like their own estates in Kildare. And it's, you know, it's, I just haven't been focused on the money and I think that's not my motivation, but I can see it as I become a, an older gent that I'm like, yeah, I can see myself becoming a millionaire from the side hustles and all of this will pay off. And it's my time to, I don't know, to reevaluate and think of my future. I never, as I said, I never thought about the future properly. I just thought about the staff with myself first, then the staff. And now I think I'm, I've just matured to be, you know, in a position that I think I do believe in the brand. And if you do believe in it, everybody else will like the same way as I believe in the staff. I believe customers and future customers will believe in it. And it is a good story when I think about it, because it, it is a bit of not rags to riches, but you know, as I said, I, I did start with one chair, one mirror in a pop-up shop. And it's a, uh, I feel like I could open a shop anywhere in the world with the brand I've created. Um, so just one more question and uh, then we'll let you go. So um, talk to us about the long run. Um, you kind of mentioned a bit there, like, um, kind of could see yourself becoming a millionaire kind of as you get older but i'm sure you have big goals um but um where do you see the future of cut and so i mean like what's the end game for you do you kind of want to transition into franchising it or i mean what, what where do you see it going from here yeah no so basically the i couldn't look into the future back in the day and i mean and i used to be so anti-franchise and so anti-global and like you know, because I came with the attitude like it's just me against the world and all of the guys in my industry didn't really appreciate what we were doing. So I was like, I'm happy to just do my own thing. But then what motivated me was, I suppose, proving everybody wrong. Uh, the future holds, like we were offered, well not offered, an opportunity came to open in London, New York. And I was like, you know what? I just don't know if that's what I want. You know, I think the where it makes money for us as open shops i think is in ireland because again not everybody gets the irish humor and what seems to work is shops in places that we know and hiring people in places and towns that you know the customers our future customers know them so we're definitely going to expand this year which people don't know but i'll say it because i think it's very relevant i went to open two new businesses both with both which couldn't go ahead because of covid and um, has been a step back and not everyone tells you about the failures or the non-opens, but they will happen. So next year there'll be a new shop and um, we'll expand on maybe doing the beer or product range. And I think we'll just kind of water the plants as such a water, what we have going for us, you know, we'll invest more in the staff and the new staff. We'll always upgrade the shops. And I think just work on what we have, hopefully things like doing podcasts with guys like yourselves and, 
spreading the word of cut and sew is important and it's that's my job you know people can relate to me because they're like i remember going to sean when he literally couldn't afford <laughs> rent the next week or when i was in my mom's house in the box room doing three jobs so i didn't have to go back to the hairdressing and i don't know people i think like to see the story they they i get more likes or posting a picture of me than i do of a haircut now which is funny so it's uh yeah, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a personal story, and I think that's why we relate to Phil Knight and stuff like that in the shoe dog story. When you think of Nike and you see his story, like and he's selling Nikes out of the back. I called it Nike, but I, I remember now that in the book he says it's pronounced Nike. That um just had to get that in. That people don't realize the struggle he had of all the failed, like sleeping in the office, selling the car the shoes out at the running track out of his boot of his car having no cash flow, being a bad businessman, to then getting lucky and going to over to, was it Tokyo, Japan or somewhere, and the temple is Nike, and then getting the deal. And it's like, people don't really see the struggle, and I'm very uh, transparent with the story of Cut and So, and it works. And uh, hopefully in a year's time, you know, next year will be even better, more financially off, and just what we've put in comes out, and it kind of, it flourishes and yeah hopefully i hope everyone does well also you know so anyone's listening to this that's lacking a bit of motivation like you know it's i hope there's some kind of story for one or two listeners that are like god geez that sounds like humble beginnings you know for us and i hope to see them up in first class having a champagne toasting toasting the success Well, Sean, I think that's a great closing note. So it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time out. And hopefully when COVID's all over, myself and Gav could take you out for a pint as a thank you. So um, can you share with our audience um, just where they could go to find out more about you and Cut and Sew? Yeah, I mean, social media is obviously Cut and Sew Dublin. My personal one, which you may or may not want to follow, is It's Shawnee B, baby. There's more, there's more selfies on there and me dancing around the shops and there is haircuts. But uh, there's also a lot of free content for business uh, business heads and people that are looking for a bit of inspiration. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. And thank you so much for having me on, lads. It's an absolute pleasure. No, Sean, pleasure's all ours. Um, so thank you very much. Thanks for listening. And Sean, uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Kickstart Garage. This show is for entertainment purposes only.